Good day, folks. This is uh, Ren from One Small Step. We're so excited to be back again for 2019. Hope you had a great break uh, over the Christmas holidays. And we're going to jump right in with our first episode. Uh, today, I'm honored and privileged to have Vernon Reinders, uh, who is an independent supply chain consultant and has worked with some of the biggest minds uh, known to man. And uh, we're very excited that he's joined us. Vernon, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. Uh, Vernon, would you mind sharing with us a bit of your personal and professional journey up to this point? Well, I was born in Johannesburg. Um, I studied at what was known as Rao at the time, jo University of Johannesburg, um, as it is known now. Um, initially studied physics and mathematics, and when I completed my degree, I didn't actually know what I was going to do with my life. So ended up studying engineering, electrical engineering and um, then went to Accenture after that. And I spent 10 years of my life at Accenture, which was really very good. I think the exposure to different industries, different customers really appealed to me. And that's why I essentially stayed in consulting ever since, um, because you, you're not in a, in a rut almost working with a, a specific um, customer. What books are you currently reading? Um, I'm actually reading a novel at the moment, which is probably not appropriate to talk about, but um, a, a book that I recently read, which was quite interesting, was called The Girl Who Climbed Everest um, by Benito Norris. And um, this is a girl who managed to climb Everest and reach the North Pole before she was 22 years old. Um, and what made it interesting is that she actually suffered from um, anorexia as a teenager. And the whole book is about how she pushed the boundaries and how she was actually, um, she was able to achieve more than what she believed in herself in. So I think that's, that's a, a good lesson learned to um, understand your limits and to try and get beyond that. Brilliant, thank you. Tell me what's your greatest learning along your, your leadership journey? Um, there's been many, but um, I think, and it's something that in the last few months or year or so has been sort of top of mind for me is the value of people, the looking at people and what they can contribute as the most valuable asset in an organization. And I think a lot of people miss that. Um, they, they do too little to encourage the, the inexperienced and the um, unskilled to actually grow. And coming back to the book by Benito Norris, it's about pushing that boundary and getting more out of people. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people can just take a step back and think about. Wonderful. Do you have any advice for um, folks who lead companies to grow or to lead better? It's exactly that. It's about having more trust in the people and encouraging and allowing them to do um, more of what they believe they can do and rather um, you know, I have a, a saying that you should rather ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah. And I think too many people feel that they have to ask permission to do things. Um, so that, that would be my advice. Okay. Um, as, as someone who's run a, who has run a rapidly growing business, what is your advice um, to, to, to someone perhaps in, in your position when confronted with growth beyond your planning or even your perceived ability? I think that's difficult because, um, you know, when you are in a 
in a growth situation, it's very difficult to curb that because we all want to grow and be better and be more and nobody really says no to um, new business or new opportunities. Um, a while back I read a book by Jack Ma from Alibaba and he was hours away from losing his business um, because of that, because it was growing so fast that he couldn't develop fast enough to keep the business going. And he was talking about literally developing two or three hours ahead of going to market. Um, so I think in one sense there's, there's a lot of luck involved. Um, some companies make it just because the, the right um, cards fall in place. Um, but you know, it's on the one hand I think you should just hang on for dear life and, and try and make the best of it. But on the other hand, you shouldn't be scared to take the difficult decisions when that growth runs out and when you're in a situation where actually it can lead to um, more troublesome times. Um, that's when the real character comes out and where you have to, to make the right decisions. Tell me, what is your, your view on the current state of procurement in mind? Um, that's a, a very broad question because I don't think there is one current state. I think if you look at mining companies um, in Africa, which is where my, um, where my experience is, you have from um, very sophisticated um, procurement processes in mining to really laggards and people who are still doing it very manually um, and everything in between. So I think there's a lot of opportunity still for procurement to, to bring value to mining companies. Um, but then at the same time, they are really market leaders in that, um, in that space. What are the biggest opportunities for improvement in mining in South Africa? Um, I don't know if there are a lot of opportunities. I think I would rather talk about the, the challenges for mining and um, I mean, we're talking about procurement, but I would say that the, the labor issues in mining in South Africa is probably the biggest um, stumbling block that needs to be overcome. And that cuts across all the disciplines, whether it's miners or um, finance or procurement. Um, I think South Africa specifically has some very big challenges with regards to labor relations. Is there space for techno technological innovation in procurement in the mining sector? Definitely. I think um, I mean, technology is the way the world is going, so um, if we said there wasn't any opportunity that would be misleading. Um, the question is what it is, and I think it will be different things for different um, companies, whether it's um, something as simple as building a contracts database um, or a supply information database um, up to fully automated um, procurement solutions. There's, there's definitely um, scope. Sure, I think you, you mentioned earlier that um, procurement needs to add value mm -hmm. and, uh, and we tend to <clears throat> see value as, as one thing, but as you mentioned now, there's uh, value for one company could be different uh, to, to, to another company. I think it's important for us to find out what each individual company's needs are so that we can add value and not just sort of give a blanket. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you, if you did it correctly, and that's what I always um, tell my clients, is that the procurement, the role of procurement within an organization is really largely dependent on 
that company's overall business strategy, what they want to achieve, and you then need to ask what, what role should procurement play in achieving that um, overall goal. Um, a good example that I like to use is um, I worked on a, um, for a mine in Namibia. Um, if you look at the supply community in Namibia, it's, it's extremely small. The owners of the company are Chinese. Um, the way that Chinese companies think about suppliers and supplier base is completely different. And so the company strategy was pretty much based on the Chinese model, but procurement tried to implement their policies and procedures based on what is um, known in Namibia, and there was a big disconnect between the two, um, which obviously um, erodes the value that procurement can bring in terms of cost of goods and services, security of goods and services, etc. Uh, would you be willing to name some of the mines that you've worked with, locally and internationally? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't give names because they are NDAs that um, I may or may not have signed. Sure. Um, but I can definitely mention some of the countries where I worked in. Um, so in Africa, um, Ghana is probably the place outside of South Africa where I spent the most time. and. Um, specifically for gold fields. I, I was head of procurement for gold fields um, in West Africa. Um, I also spent some time in Ivory Coast in Tanzania. I mentioned Namibia. Um, I worked long ago when I was still at Accenture. I worked for De Beers in Botswana and Namibia. Um, and then over the last two years, really back in South Africa, and it's quite interesting to, with an African experience, to see how things are done in South Africa, which um, in a lot of respects are the same, same challenges, but there are also some fundamental differences between um, the way that procurement is practiced in mining in South Africa versus the rest of Africa. So, so based on what you just said, and also earlier you spoke about uh, the Chinese uh, uh, um, uh, model, procurement model in the Namibian context, uh, how do you see procurement in mining in South Africa is different to procurement in mining internationally? Um, I wouldn't say it's different internationally, but specifically different to the rest of Africa. And what, what struck me was the, the strength of the supplier community within South Africa. And um, we all know that in South Africa mining is going through troubled times. And the willingness of suppliers locally to still support mining because of, I mean, there are so many um, engineering shops, as an example, whose whole lifeline is dependent on the mining industry and therefore they, they're willing to walk the extra mile. You don't find that in the rest of Africa to the same extent. Um, so the relationship between miner and supplier is completely different here to, to what you will find in the rest of Africa. If you look at South America, for instance, South America as a continent is almost self-contained. There's very little that they import. I'm, I'm not talking about strategic commodities that are typically imported, but the vast majority of purchase orders would only flow within the continent. Um, the same in Australia, the same in the US. Whereas in Africa, excluding South Africa, a lot of um, commodities, goods and services are actually imported. And that for me is the the key difference. I think we need to think differently about how do we leverage our supplier base in South Africa to support Africa. Um, that, I think there's, there's a lot of money on the table. Then what are some of the biggest challenges you faced in terms of procurement in the mining sector abroad? 
Um, I think the, what I mentioned earlier, um, the fact that procurement does not necessarily always have a seat at the table, um, that your executive committee of a mining company sees procurement as a necessary evil part of finance, just get the purchase order done, rather than a strategic um, capability that can be used to, to actually um, support the, the organization. And to change that mindset is not easy. So a lot of times you are constrained by perceptions rather than um, you know, allowed to, to implement the opportunities that present itself. Well, Vernon, thank you so much for your time. It's been very insightful. Very grateful that you joined us today. And folks, thank you for joining us. And have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.